0: Good morning, greetings to each of you this morning, it's a beautiful, beautiful Lord's Day morning, and uh, it just seems so fitting as we consider uh, typically this time of year on this Lord's Day, we consider the resurrection of our Lord, and uh, it's a beautiful morning for that, it's a beautiful um, spring morning, the contrast that's there. Between the the beautiful green grasses coming to life and the, the flowers and, and yet this, it's standing in stark contrast to the the life that's not there yet that's beginning to come and there's just a it's a beautiful morning and as we drove here this morning I my thoughts were going a number of different places but as I drove drove past uh one of the churches here in town and you see the parking lot so full of cars and this brought back memories as a, as a child. I remember seeing people in church on Easter Sunday that were not there any other day of the year. Never seen them any other day, um, but yet Easter morning they would be there and my thoughts went a number of different places with that. But there's a lot, of, a lot of churches today that have those in their congregations who have come for their one service a year to remember this great event, and yet will walk out very likely with nothing different, nothing changed, and that's really sad. So as we gather around the Word here today, trust that the Lord will, will um, bless His Word to our hearts, told my wife that as we consider the, great, the greatness of the resurrection of the Lord, I feel, I feel com- completely inadequate to be able to say that in such a way or to reflect upon it in such a way that could do anything for us. That would be any sort of blessing for us that would be able to lift us up and encourage us in any sort of way. And that's a a feeling that as I sat there and we sang that last song and just that feeling of kind of trembling inside, of not wanting to stand up and have it be a a waste, not wanting to stand up and have it be for no purpose, or we just kind of meh, it was a nice morning. But what I hope and pray is that the Holy Spirit will come. And I, there's a number of scriptures that, have, that are on my heart, and I hope and pray and trust that, that uh, it is guided by the Lord. It would be a lot easier for me just to stand. I know some of you brothers feel a little different. It's easier for you to come up here with maybe a few ideas and thoughts, and I support that. I, I think that the Lord can certainly work that way. But... For me, personally, I I would much rather stand with not knowing at all where I was going to read from. There's there's not that battle of having to wonder, was that my thought or was that just something that the Lord gave me while we read that? And so, just confess that to you this morning. And uh, so, maybe all of us will continue to pray that the Lord will come and that it will be His Spirit that magnifies His work that He's done. So, I've chosen Leviticus chapter 4 for our first reading. Maybe seems like an unlikely chapter, but I know it's not Good Friday, but... um, We'll read here from Leviticus chapter 4, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done, and shall do against any of them, if the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring forth his sin, which he has sinned, a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for a sin offering." And he shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, and shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head, and kill the bullock before the Lord. And the priest that is anointed shall take of the bullock's blood, and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood, and sprinkle of the blood seven times before the Lord, before the veil of the sanctuary." And the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall take off from it all the fat of the bullock for the sin offering, the fat that covereth the inwards and all the fat that is upon the inwards, and the two kidneys and the fat that is upon them, which is by the flanks and the call above the liver, with the kidneys it shall shall he take away. As it was taken off from the bullock of the sacrifice of peace offerings, and the priest shall burn them upon the altar of the burnt offering. And the skin of the bullock, and all his flesh, with his head, with his legs, and his inwards, and his dung, even the whole bullock shall he carry forth without the camp into a clean place, where the ashes are poured out, and burn him on the wood with fire, where the ashes are poured out, shall he be burnt." And if the whole congregation of Israel sin through ignorance and the thing be hid from the eyes of the assembly and they have done somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which should not be done and are guilty, when the sin which they have sinned against it is known, then the congregation shall offer a young bullock for the sin and bring him before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands upon the head of the bullock before the Lord and the bullock shall be killed before the Lord. And the priest that is anointed shall bring of the Bullock's blood to the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall dip his finger in some of the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord, even before the veil. And he shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar which is before the Lord, that is, in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour out all the blood at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall take all his fat from him and burn it upon the altar.'" And he shall do with the bullock as he did with the bullock for a sin offering, so shall he do with this. And the priest shall make an atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. And he shall carry forth the bullock without the camp, and burn him as he burned the first bullock. It is a sin offering for the congregation. When a ruler hath sinned and done somewhat through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord his God concerning things which should not be done and is guilty, Or if his sin, wherein he hath sinned, come to his knowledge, he shall bring his offering, a kid of the goats, a male without blemish. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of the goat and kill it. In the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord, it is a sin offering. And the priest shall take of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and shall pour out his blood at the bottom of the altar of burnt offering. And he shall burn all his fat upon the altar as the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings." (coughs) the priest shall make an atonement for him as concerning his sin, and it shall be forgiven him. And if any one of the common people sin through ignorance, while he doeth somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done, and be guilty, or if his sin which he hath sinned come to his knowledge, then he shall bring his offering, a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for his sin which he hath sinned. And He shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering, and slay the sin offering in the place of the burnt offering." And the priest shall take of the blood thereof with his finger, and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and shall pour out all the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar. And he shall take away all the fat thereof, as the fat is taken away from off the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it upon the altar for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the priest shall make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. And if he bring a lamb for a sin offering, he shall bring it a female without blemish. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering and slay it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall take of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offering and shall pour out all the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar. He shall take away all the fat thereof as the fat of the lamb is taken away from the sacrifice of the peace offerings and the priest shall burn them upon the altar according to the offering made by fire unto the Lord. And the priest shall make an atonement for his sin that he hath committed, and it shall be forgiven him. Let's pray together. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before thee this morning. What a beautiful Lord's day Thou hast given to us this morning, Father. Thou hast given us eyes to see and ears to hear, the senses to feel and to perceive, Father, that Thou art good. And from heaven, Father, Thou hast blessed us. Thou hast given us this great hope of eternal life because of Thy Son, Jesus Christ, and the life that He lived, what He was willing to do, and coming down here below and living that life, that though it was filled with suffering and temptation and trials, And though he was that man of sorrows, afflicted on every side and as a root in a dry ground, yet, Father, he lived that perfect life in the midst of such fallenness and brokenness, in the midst of such death and chaos. And Lord Jesus, we thank Thee for this, that perfect life that was lived and that was offered up there in sacrifice. We thank Thee for this, Lord Jesus. And as we gather here now in this morning hour, O Lord, it would be our prayer that thy great works would be magnified in our hearts and our minds here in this place today. That our hearts might even be lifted up into heavenly places, Father, would be our desire. And yet we know, Lord, that of ourselves we are not able to do this. We cannot form the thoughts nor the words or drum up enough feeling and emotion, O God, to Lift us up off of this ground. But, O Lord, if Thou shouldst come down and dwell here in our midst here and be here and inspire our hearts, living in our hearts, speaking to us and encouraging us and strengthening us, then, Father, we will certainly count ourselves as blessed. This would be our prayer, Father. I feel my weakness before Thee, Father, to proclaim Thy great works. Father, how is man who is made of the dust able to Proclaim thy great and wondrous works, when our eyes have not seen, but by faith we do believe, O Lord. Father, this humbles us, and makes us feel our great need and reliance upon thee, that we might consider the great works of God. So Father, here we are, pray Lord that I would just lay my thoughts down Lord, any of my temptations and weaknesses, I pray, O God, that you would just be merciful to these dear ones and not let the weaknesses of this man stand in the way of them receiving a blessing and even hearing from thy spirit this morning. O Lord God, be merciful to us. And as we have prayed already, may this day be a great day of blessing. Unto thee, O God, may our hearts worship thee and adore thee and thank thee. For this great and marvelous plan of salvation that thou hast given, and made available to all mankind, if they should not neglect it, but seek for it, even as that hidden treasure, as we would seek for that, as that pearl of great price, as that lost coin, that we would search for it and seek for it and find it, O God. And then it might be hidden in our hearts, O Lord, and then manifestly declared into the world through the light that comes from Christ living within us. O Lord Jesus, we love thee, we thank thee, we praise thee. We look to thy word here now, Father, to the word of thy son, Jesus Christ, and his testimony that he's given. We just pray, O God, that thou would just please, as we sing that song, how no harm or mishap can come our way on this glorious day. And that would be our desire, Lord, yet we know that there is an enemy who would want to steal, kill, and to destroy. But, O God, we feel that thy blessing is upon us, and we thank thee for this, and pray for thy continued protection, both now and in the coming days ahead. For we know that the devil does not want the glorious message, the gospel message proclaimed. May thy kingdom come, Father, may thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. you will turn with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, you know I think we could read Hebrews 9 and 10, we may read from there, there's a lot of scriptures going through my mind here this morning. But we'll read here from Hebrews chapter 9, verse, and we'll start there at verse 1. I'm not sure how far we'll go. We may just go through the whole chapter, even into the next, but we'll work through that here. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick, and the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant, and over at the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as yet while as the first tabernacle was yet standing which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ Who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. "'Otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. "'Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. "'For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, "'he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop "'and sprinkled both the book and all the people, "'saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. "'Moreover he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, "'and almost all things are by the law purged with blood.' And without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once, in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, And not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore when he cometh into the world he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But a body... Hast thou prepared me? In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings, and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst thou hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law, then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. We could go on and continue to read. And maybe I will. I, I'm, I think maybe I will. We're going to read just a few more verses yet. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, And in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. For the law having a shadow, I'm going to just go back to verse 1 there of chapter 10. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers their unto perfect. We picture the sun, We picture the sun in all of its glory and all of its brightness, and we think about the contrast between the sun, and we can look out and we can see the shadows. We can see the one side of the tree that is lit up by the sun, and we see on the other side of that tree the shadows. And on the one side, the detail stands out in sharper contrast, and the other, though it's still visible, it's not in the glory yet of the sun. And we think about the Old Testament in that light, that there was something there. It was supposed to begin to reveal to mankind the plan that God was beginning to bring and was beginning to manifest. I want to go back there to Leviticus chapter 4, and I want us to consider a few of these things. And as I consider the contrast that is between these chapters that we read, And I don't know exactly where to begin, and maybe we'll pick up even this afternoon. I don't know what the afternoon message is going to look like yet. But we'll, we'll make a beginning here this morning, and if we need more time this afternoon, I guess we can go into it. Because how, how do we cover a topic so great as the resurrection in 20 minutes, or a half hour, or 45 minutes, or four hours, or eight hours? It, it's a topic that is eternal. eternal. I believe that in all eternity we'll, we'll, we'll magnify and we'll praise the Lord as it becomes more and more manifest to us, the great mighty plan of salvation that God has poured out. But let us just consider here momentarily this picture that we see back here in Leviticus. And as we read there in Hebrews, we read about this tabernacle as we've talked about before. We read about this tabernacle and we read about the temple and we know that this was a shadow of things to come. It was to be a representation of heaven itself. When we think about the contrast between this temple, this earthly temple, that has a veil that's keeping everybody else shut out from the Holy of Holies. There's not access, there's not direct access to God, because there's a big veil there that is thick, and it's shutting out even the very light itself. And men are not allowed to pass past that veil, or they would be dead. And this is to represent yet, this is to give us a a picture, this is to give us a shadow of heaven. This is to give us a shadow of, of something much greater. But here we have these priests, and they're assigned specific duties and specific responsibilities, and they have obligations to fulfill according to the law of Moses, And we even think of Moses himself, that here he was, and he was given and trusted the law, the commandments were entrusted to him by God. And they were wrote, as it says, in tables of stone. And this was a foreshadow. This was going to tell us something of of a coming day when the law was not going to be written on tables of stone, it says. But what does it say? and fleshly tables of the heart. This is the great difference between this law that ministered death and this new covenant that was going to minister life. The difference between life and death, the greatness, the span, the gulf that's there between those two is the difference between this law that was given to Moses and the law that was given to Christ. And yet this law that was given to Moses was of such glory that the, that the, that the mountain shook at the presence of God and the people quaked at the sight that was before them. It was so exceedingly fierce and so exceedingly terrible that they said, Moses, you go talk to God and we're gonna stay down here. We're not gonna go anywhere as close to this great and mighty God. And Moses goes up there and he receives this law and he records it down onto those tables of stone. And so great was this, Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. He trembled at the mighty presence of God, God calling him up saying, Moses, come up here and I will show thee something. And he was given this law and Moses comes down from this mountain. There's a couple different uh, times where he did this because the tables were first broken when he saw them committing whoredoms down below. But as he comes down from the mountain, the people are horrified because his face shone with such a glory, they couldn't even look upon him. They had to cover him up. And this ministration of death that required death, it required blood, it required sacrifice, it required loss of life, it was defeat, it was loss, it was casualty, it was pain, it was suffering, was still glorious to the degree that Moses had to cover his face when he comes down from the from the mountain. And it was told to Moses that Aaron and his seed, it was going to be given to them the direct responsibility to minister and to perform the sacrifices and be faithful with the law and to teach the people. And we think of the deficiency of that because Aaron died. having not received the promises of God. And Aaron's sons died, having not received the promises of God. And Aaron's sons' sons died. And this priestly order that was put into place according to the pattern that was given to Moses, there was not a lasting continuation of it, but only death. Death. And yet it was prophesied that there was one that was coming that was going to be not after the order of Aaron as a high priest, but after the order of Melchizedek, this man that we know so little about, but it says that he, we don't know who his mother was, we don't know who his father was, we don't know when his beginning was, and we don't know when his end was. A mysterious man, yet he was the king of Salem, it says, and the king of righteousness and the king of peace. And this was a foreshadowing of this great and mighty high priest that was coming. A priest that was going to have life eternal, no end. A continuation, whose priesthood was not going to be taken away, but was going to be fulfilled forever. And who was going to be of such a high priest that he would take upon himself the very flesh of our flesh and bone of our bones, that he might live to make intercession for us and our weaknesses and our sufferings and our failings, that he would know those things. And so we have this high priest and we have this priesthood and we have this tabernacle and we have these sacrifices all foreshadowing something of a day that was to come. And the contrast that stood there. I want to look here. I want to look here at at Leviticus chapter 4, and I want us to consider momentarily what it was like. You have this bullock, you have this lamb, and I'm not going to be able to paint this picture well enough for you this morning. I'm afraid of that but I would ask that maybe it would be worth our meditation on later on when we go home, we have quiet time. But you think about what that would have been like. I think about that bullock, that young bullock, and they are a beautiful, beautiful animal. They really are. When you see a young calf or they're they they're they're a beautiful creature. I don't maybe I'm the only one that thinks that, but I just think they're a beautiful creature. Those big brown eyes and they look at you and it, there's just something there for me. I, I just they're kind of one of those animals you'd love to just kind of go and have as a pet, you know. They don't make a very good pet, but but you think about that. You think about that lamb, you think about that little, that young goat that it talks about here. I think about that young lamb, and I think, you know, there's not much, much cuter than a young lamb. When they're bouncing around, you see a little goat that's bouncing around, they have kind of some of the same characteristics. They bounce around there, and all four legs kind of go up at once. And they see a little rock and they jump up on that thing and they twirl and kick around and they kick up their back feet and on a day like today, they're just, they're happy. And there's something about that that warms your heart when you're watching that. That's just the, the excitement that they have. And they jump around their mother and they, and, and they're, they go up on their two legs and then they prance down. And they're, they're, we've seen that. We can picture that. And there's something warm and endearing about that. And I think about what it was like then to take that, that beautiful creature, that cute creature, that creature that no doubt the children get attached to. The children love to, to pet. Now you take that creature and you have to, now you have to go up to this tabernacle. And there's this tabernacle, and there's this priest. And because of their sin, there has to be a laying on of hands. And I've thought about that a lot of times. What that was like for these men, whether it was the priest or whether it was the leader or whether it was the elders or whether it was this dad, this common man. What was it like for them to take this creature and put their hands on that 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 head of that animal. And that animal had life, and that animal had, is, is, there's something there that's connecting. And that priest takes that knife and just one quick slice, and immediately, the blood of that animal and the life of that animal sprays out And you feel under your hands the life of that animal drop, and it falls to the ground. And it does what animals do when it's dying, and it wallows there in its blood. And that white wool is crimson stained. That beautiful creature is dead because of your sin. And that touched those men's hearts. How defeating that must have been to know that next year they're going to have to do it again. And the next year they're going to have to do it again. And the year after that they're going to have to do it again. And though they tried to keep the commandments and they knew it, it said they weren't supposed to steal, they weren't supposed to bear false witness, they weren't supposed to cheat their neighbor, They weren't supposed to be all of these things, yet they knew within themselves, they could read the law there written on the stony tables, but within their heart, they couldn't feel it. Very few of them could ever feel it. They knew what was required of them, but they knew that within themselves was not the the ability to perform what was required of them, and they knew that next year it was going to be the same thing. And it must have been a defeated feeling. It must have been a feeling very different than the feeling we have this morning when we think of the glorious resurrection. That Christ offered himself once for sin. The victorious feeling where Christ came out of that tomb and he said all hail, in contrast to the feeling that these men left with on that day, with that body of that dead creature, had to have been very very different feeling they took that bullock and they cut the fat off of him and they opened him up and they took out the the, the liver and the kidneys and they cut off his fat and that beautiful creature became a mangled mess a bloodied mangled mess And they took that creature, that dead carcass, and they walked out from the tabernacles. as a shadow of the heavenly things. It was a foreshadowing of things that were to come. They took that dead carcass and they walked out with him. And I don't know if they had a rope around him. I don't know if men had him by the, if one man grabbed this leg, another man grabbed the other leg. I don't know if there was children lining this way, if there was adults lining this way, if the crowds were lining this, this ceremony. but I think that they were, and I don't know if the dust was being stirred up as they were dragging that beast out, mangled and dead, and I picture things, I don't know if you picture things, but I picture things, I picture what death looks like in the eyes of a creature that's just been killed, and that glossy look that goes over the eye, I picture that tongue that hangs out, I I, I picture those kinds of things. I picture how quickly that rigor mortis mortis sets in. I'm maybe saying that wrong, but how quickly it becomes stiff. And those legs become unmovable. And here's this body that's being drug out. And the children are watching this mangled mess. Bloody mangled mess. Being drug out. It says, without the camp. This comes to my mind if I can find it real quick. Hebrews 13, it says, "Wherefore Jesus, these are shadows of things to come." It says, "Wherefore Jesus, also that he might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the, the gate." What does it say here? It says, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. They took this bullock out of the city, and there they watched, but there they knew next year it was going to be the same thing. Next year it was going to be the same thing. There was no power to overcome sin. One mangled mass after mangled mess, sacrifice after sacrifice, blood after blood, and a continuation of just and yet they just continued to go in that. This isn't a good Friday service. But I think it's good for us to consider that. I think that's where so many people are at this morning. I think so many people are coming to church just like the Israelites did, just like the children of Israel did. They're going to church this morning in remembrance of a sacrifice. They're going to church this morning in remembrance of a wonderful work that Christ did. And they're leaving there with the expectation that there will be absolutely nothing different in the year to come. They've come into this service hearing about the resurrection of Christ. They'll go out this service hearing about the resurrection of Christ. They'll come in as a sinner, and they'll walk out as a sinner. Very much the same. And for the next year, they'll live in their sin. They'll live in their folly. They'll live in their iniquity. And they'll feel real bad about it. And they'll feel real bad about the sacrifice of Christ. They'll feel real bad watching him get drugged through that street. They'll feel real bad about seeing him bear that cross with that thorn crowns on his head. They'll feel real bad about watching that blood drip down from his back. And they'll feel real bad seeing him fall under the weight of that cross. They'll feel terrible about it. But they have no expectation at all that anything will change in the following year. And they've missed the entire point of the resurrection. They've missed the entire point of Easter Sunday. They feel bad about it. They wish it could be different. But in their heart, they have the heart of unbelief that says it's not possible to live in such a way that will please God, that no longer any sacrifice is required. That sacrifice that was offered. in their mind and in their heart is not enough. There's no power for them to live a different life or a changed life. And they've missed the resurrection message. And they'll come back that next year, and they'll feel real bad about it. And they'll think about that lamb that was slain. And they'll even feel the life go out from him. I praise God. Today we come together, and we have a message that's very different. It's very different than what the Israelites heard. And it's very different than what most all of modern day Christianity preaches. We have the glorious message of the resurrection and the new covenant. And I'd like to think upon that today. And I'd like to bring. I hope it can be a blessing to us as we consider that. I'm gonna stop for now though, maybe with your prayerful support this afternoon. <laughs> you can pray for me that our hearts can be touched and that we'll see the glorious contrast between this new covenant and this old covenant and that we'll leave here with the encouragement and the strength knowing that we can live that life that pleases God and that it is different for us. Trust that you'll pray for me for that. I each of you again this afternoon, I'm glad that we can gather again and consider this uh, verse over the noon hour, it's kind of struck me, it's in Psalm 106 verse 2, it says, who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord, who can show forth all his praise? And as I mentioned this morning, I'll say it again. I feel incredibly weak in that. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? When we consider the resurrection of our Lord, the mighty works that he did there, who can show forth all his praise? There's no greater work than what, with the help of the Lord, we're going to consider here this afternoon. And how can man utter that in a way that's, that's actually meaningful and impactful and can be a blessing? And so... Again, that causes me to feel a, a, a real weakness and a trembling and yet a real desire. I want to do that, but I just know that I can't outside of his help. So, um, let's, let's begin by praying together and uh, we'll consider the scriptures then. So, if we can start with a prayer. If we can pick up where we left off this morning, and we think about how long these sacrifices continued, and for how many years they, they continued on, and as we, as we go down that road a ways, and we think of how many bullocks were offered, and how many lambs were offered, and how, many, how, how much blood was, was spilled. And how many priests came into that order, into that function, and how many priests died, and and new ones were ushered in. And if you can picture that road going on down throughout the ages of time and for how many hundreds of years this covenant worked, this covenant brought forth. And it brought forth a people whose hearts were not circumcised, it says but everything that they did and what they what they were was based on what was written on a tablet of stone and for years down the road now generation after generation after generation and in all of that time never was there a sacrifice that was able to bring forth and change the hearts of these men generation after generation Life after life, year after year. If you go down that road, at the end of that road, at the end of all these sacrifices, it says, we read it? Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. We read there how all of this was a shadow of things to come. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. It had no ability to change their heart. They had no ability to actually get in and impact them and affect them in a way where they were going to leave that place, having watched that ceremony, and they were going to leave that place knowing that from there on out, the rest of the year was going to be different. For them, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, once purged, should have had no more conscience of sins. They would have been different. But in those sacrifices, there was a remembrance again made of sins every year, as we said. Because it wasn't possible. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. What a contrast between this mangled bullock. What a contrast be from this crimson stained lamb lying there mangled in a heap stained in its own blood and now we see a body can you think of the contrast of that a bull, a bullock, a lamb, and the very Son of God. This is the contrast of what we're talking from the old covenant entering now into the new covenant. At the end of that covenant, at the end of all this sacrifice, after the years and the generations of seeing this procession occur and seeing dead body after dead body being dragged down these dusty roads out and outside of the camp, being burned up outside of the camp, At the end of all this, we see a cross. And that cross is the end. It's the end of this old covenant. It stands there marking the last and the perfect sacrifice as the end. And that's where so many men stay at today. Today, there'll be so many men, so many women who've went to church, and they'll walk in the church, and they'll see the big cross on the front. They'll walk into the church, and they'll look up at the steeple, and they'll see the cross on top of the steeple. They'll walk into the doors, and on there on the doors, there'll be the emblem of the cross. They walk into the foyer, and they'll see the pictures of the cross. They'll look up at the pulpit, and there'll be a cross there on the pulpit. And behind the pulpit, there'll be a cross. They'll walk out in the parking lot, and they'll see... The cross made the difference for me. Pasted there on the back and the bumper stickers. and And they'll walk out of there and nothing will be different this next year. Why? They stay at the cross, they stay at the cross. can walk into most churches, and it's a testimony. They stay at the cross. Am I making light of the cross? Absolutely not. I'm not making light of the cross. But there at the end of that covenant, that old covenant of death, stands that cross. And there on that cross is a dead Savior, a Savior that if we do not come to, if we're not washed in the blood of that Savior, of that perfect sacrifice, then we have no hope of entering into that new covenant. But it stands there at the end of that covenant. And the testimony of this old covenant, the consummation of it, the fullness of what it could do was crucify the Son of God. That's the fullness of what that could do. It could end in nothing else but the death of the Son of God, because it brought forth death. And without the shedding of death, there was no remission of sins under the old law. And today, on Easter, the churches have been attended by others who haven't attended the rest of the year. And they'll walk out of there, and for the next year, they'll live the same that they did the year before, and all of their sins and all of their iniquities, and they'll say, But praise God, the cross made the difference for me. And they're content staying there at the cross. They're content staying there, and their minds being washed over and over and over. I shouldn't say washed, I should say covered. Covered by the blood of the Lamb. And what we have to say is that we have a very different message than that. We have a very, very different message than that. The covenant that we belong to is not marked by the cross. the covenant that we belong to is not marked by the cross now we're not making light of the cross i'm not diminishing the cross in any means and in any way but the covenant that we belong to is marked by the empty tomb it's marked by the resurrection that's the covenant that we belong to. And the difference is as big as life is, is from death. If we think of the contrast from that dark night of the soul, that dark night, and we think of the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant, and we consider the, 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 the dark night, and yet it was a shadow, we think of the glory there that was, that was undoubtedly it was there, they had to cover it up. But we think about that dark night, and in contrast, the old to the new, it's the difference between the dark night and the glorious sun shining in its strength. This is the new covenant that we belong to and that we proclaim. It's the difference as you take a seed, and there's nothing very pretty in that seed. There's nothing really that amazing in that seed. You don't hold that seed and say, What a pretty seed, for the most part. But you take that seed, and it dies. And in that old covenant, we had to come to that place of death. We had to come to that point where we knew we were transgressors of the law of God, that we were not holy, that we were unclean, that we were defiled, that we were guilty for putting the Son of God on that cross. And we had to die. But the contrast of that seed, that ugly little seed being dead, it says unless it's buried and put it into the ground... It abides alone. We think of the contrast from that seed to the beautiful tulips that are out there that are going to be blossoming here, the the flowers that are coming up out of the ground now, and the stark contrast of those colors and the stark contrast of that green grass right now in comparison to the death that's all around so that hasn't woke up. And we're thinking of the contrast between the old covenant into the new covenant, I want so badly to proclaim the great works of God. What is the what is the real ramifications of this? What does it really matter? What makes us so different? There's real consequences for what we teach and what we believe on this. You see, so many are content to stay there at the cross and to have their sins forgiven as long as they can remain there at the cross and continue to live in sin. And as I mentioned this morning, there's so many that, just like those children of Israel, they stand there and they look upon that sacrifice And with the same feeling of defeat, with the same feeling of dread, knowing what's coming down the road, knowing that, as they say, they must continue to sin. And the feeling of dread that's in them, knowing that another day must come. And they can't help but sin. They'll tell you that. They have no power to overcome sin. And they stay there at the cross, imagining to themselves that there's a crimson river that continually flows from the side of our wounded Saviour, washing their sins or covering their sins, as they say. And they stay in that place of wanting to feel forgiven without living a life that's actually clean, that's actually pure, that's actually perfect. I think of the words of Martin Luther, and he said that our righteousness is like snow-covered dung. It's like snow-covered dung. This winter, back in February, I think it was, the first snow had fallen, the heavy snow, before we got the really big snow. And there was maybe six inches of snow on the ground, and it sat there, and it melted just a little bit. And there was a day there, cold enough, where I seen a farmer on the way home. He was out there spreading manure over this white field. And it looked really defiling. It just looked defiling. I thought, what a, what a tragedy of beautiful snowfall. There it sat for a few days until we got the next big snow. And that snow came, and we had how many inches? And it covered all that manure out there on that field. It was covered up, and it looked pretty. It did. So many people, that's where they're at today. So many people, that's where they are. Their heart inside is unclean, and they're like snow-covered dung. Outwardly, they have a profession. They go to church. They even go to church more than just on Easter, and, they, and they're there. But they'll tell you they're still sinners, and they'll tell you that they can't do anything about it. And they'll tell you that they'll never be perfect. And they'll tell you that they have to sin even daily. And they're snow-covered dung. The problem is, is that it took a little while, but the sun came out. And with that heat, the snow melted, and all that dung was still there. And it smelled really bad. And you know, the sun will come into our life and it will warm things up and we'll have trials and we'll have afflictions. And it's in those moments that if we're snow-covered dung, all that will come right out. Can't hide a bit of it. And that's where these people are at. They're still in the old covenant. They're still in that old place where really when the heat comes, that covering is removed. And it's revealed that there's a lot of wickedness there yet. There's a lot of sin there yet. There's a lot of things covered there that they wouldn't have wanted anybody else to see or know about. So what's the difference? When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he made a way for us so that we... Coming to him in repentance. Now think of the glory of this. Think of the glory of this gospel. That when we come to people, we tell them, we do not tell them that you're like snow-covered dung and that's all the best you're ever going to be. We can tell them that you can be snow-covered gold. That's the contrast between this covenant that we're part of and the covenant that so many are left in. What we can tell them is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can be alive, and you can be. if you're alive, that means you're going to be free from sin. We can tell people unashamed. We don't have to apologize for it. We don't have to be embarrassed about it. We don't have to kind of uh, step back from it. We can say, because of the new covenant of life that we're in, you can be perfect. Now, the old covenant makes no allowance for that. You stay under the cross. You have that blood covering you. You're like snow-covered dung. You're a sinner, or you're going to continue to live in sin. It's right where the Jews were at. It's no different. But in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when he came and he lived and he died, and he resurrected, he made a way possible for us. He made a way possible for us so that that law that was written there on tables of stone are now written upon our heart. Do you see the contrast from that? And we pass through that flood. We pass through that blood. And that blood, we go into the baptismal waters. And just like Jesus Christ was laid down into that tomb, and there he was, and he was dead. And we've come to that cross that marks the end of the old covenant. And there we are at that end of that old covenant, and we and we die. And we're taken down into those baptismal waters. We've repented of our sins. We've seen what we've done to this blessed Savior. We've seen that we are guilty for the shed blood of Christ our Lord and we've repented of our sins and we've actually went to other men and we've confessed it. We've shared it. This is who I am. This is what I've done. And we pass through And there in those baptismal waters, we believe that the blood of Christ is applied to us. And when we come out of that baptismal water, we're no longer in that old covenant anymore. Do you understand the greatness of that? We're no longer in that old covenant anymore. We're not there where we have to continue to sin any longer. We're not there where we have to continually offer up sacrifice We're not there where Christ is going to be repeatedly killed and killed and killed and killed. And we go, Lord, I need a little more blood. I need a little more blood. I need a little more blood to cover my sin here, Lord. I feel real bad about it year after year after year after year. He made a perfect sacrifice. And that blood was sufficient to take our sins and not cover our sins so that we're snow-covered dung. But that blood was sufficient to take our sins and wash it and remove it and take it away. And it wasn't only that, that he gave us then a new heart, that it's not a stony, t- stony heart anymore. It's not an uncircumcised heart anymore. He's come and he's circumcised our heart, and he's written upon our heart his law so that we want to keep his commandments. It's not difficult for us now to want to keep his commandments. We've come out of that baptismal waters as a new man, as a new creature. And the difference between life and death The difference between defeated and victory. The difference between dark and black and light and glory. The difference between that seed and that glorious flower that blossoms and blooms. The difference between all of that is the covenant that we enter into with our Lord. That covenant of life. When I stop and reflect and think back on that mangled beast. With its insides trailing out. It's blood, it's ugly, it's gross. And then I see Jesus Christ as portrayed in Revelations. With that glorious white hair, those eyes of fire, that sharp sword that comes out of his mouth, his feet like polished brass, it says, his raiment white as snow, it says, and it's shining as in the sun and its strength. We can picture it. We can picture what it's like to look out here if this was all covered in snow right now and the sun shining like it is right now and the the dazzling of it. And his feet like polished brass, and the dazzle of it, the glory of it. Our resurrected Lord, sitting on the right hand of the glory of God. And there's that beast mangled, dead, defeat, blood. The glory of God on the right hand of the Father, the new covenant, what he's calling us into, what he's, what he's the gospel message and then you see this mangled beast why do men stay in that place of that mangled why do they do that but that's what they'll do after today they'll go home and they'll have thought about the resurrection of the lord and they'll take nothing home from it they don't realize that the impact of the resurrection means that they are called no longer to sin They don't realize that the impact of the resurrection, the implications of that means that there's actually a way now for a people to be restored back to God's original intention for humanity, that though humanity fell into sin, though they fell into the, the, the mess that it's been in, and though man has messed everything up, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ now, there is opportunity for men to enter into the new humanity that God has created, and has made a way possible for all humanity to enter into so that they don't have to be part of these kingdoms of death any longer. They don't have to be part of the kingdoms of darkness any longer. They don't have to be part of this world that is, that is sin and bloodshed. They can enter into the kingdom of God and the kingdom of life. And they can actually be a new man and a new creature demonstrating to the world God's original intention for his creation. That they can now enter into the new covenant and into the kingdom of God and actually as the people of God fulfill here on earth the will of God in heaven here on earth as it is in heaven. That the power is actually given to them to do that. Think of the greatness of that. Think of the power of that. Think of the contrast of that. Why do men stay? Why don't we have Empty tombs marking our walls. Why don't we have empty tombs when we come into the doors? Why don't we have empty tombs up on the steeples? I'm not for steeples anyhow. Why? It's because, after all, even though the way has been gloriously made for us, people will go home and they'll miss the whole point of the resurrection. They'll miss the entire point. Praise God for what He did. So thankful, Jesus arose, beautiful Easter, have a meal, go on tomorrow, turn on the television, live in their sin, do whatever they do. Why? Because men are sinners. Because men are sinners who love their sin. That's why. They'll go to church today, and they'll hear a nice Easter message. Pat them on the back. They'll think about the flowers. They'll think about the beautiful things, the birds singing, the new nest, the eggs in the nest. They'll think about all the pretty things of Easter, and they'll miss the entire point. God's calling us, and the glorious message that's given to us is that we are free from sin. We are being called to be perfect. We can be perfect. We're called to that new humanity to demonstrate to the world that new, that will of God here on earth as it is in heaven, but they won't do it because they're sinners who love their sin. They'd rather stay at the cross. They'd rather stay in that covenant of death where they can imagine to themselves that there's a continual covering of blood that will somehow, in the sight of God, erase the sinful deeds that they're doing because they, like the devils, believe that there's a Christ. They say, I believe, but the devils believe and tremble. And these Men who call themselves Christians are no different than the children of Israel who called themselves the children of God. And yet year after year after year lived in defeat and lived in misery, sacrifice after sacrifice. Why? Because they were sinners who loved their sin. When I think that we've actually been called When I think about what we've actually been called to. That we've actually been set free from sin. And I hope that's a reality for us here. I hope that we're not falsely professing that. When I think that we have been called to perfection, I'll tell you, it thrills my heart. It absolutely thrills my heart. That we can know the power of the resurrection. That when I look out at this beautiful creation on a day like today, I feel peace in my heart. I don't know how men could possibly feel peace in their heart if they're living sinful. I don't care how beautiful of a day it is. I don't care how beautiful of an Easter service it was. If there's sin in their heart, I don't know how they can do it. It's impossible unless they're terribly deceived. But for us, I look at the glory of that what Christ has called us into, and we think of the impact of it, that he's called us into life. I know I probably, could you just bear with me just, just, just a little bit here yet? I feel so inadequate of proclaiming how wonderful this actually is. I hope I can find it here. I might not be able to. it's in 1 Corinthians 15. When I again when I think of the contrast of what we were in because all of us were in that covenant of death. We were all under the law. We were all found to be sinners. We were all guilty of the death and the blood of Christ, the lamb of God. And when I think of the contrast now of what we've been called into, I just want to think about this here just a little bit. It says, So also, verse 42, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Think about that seed that's that's planted there in the ground, and it's dead. And it says, Unless that seed's planted in the ground, it abideth alone. But if it die and be planted in the ground, it bringeth forth fruit. And again, I think of that that tulip seed. And I don't know what a tulip seed even looks like, but I'm guessing it's not even remotely close to being as beautiful as that bright tulip that we're going to see here shortly. The contrast of what we've been called into, this glorious Easter, this glorious resurrection, that we've been called out of corruption into incorruption. We've entered into the kingdom of God. As children of God, we're new creatures. It is sown a natural body. I think about this flesh and blood. I think about the aches and the pains and the death that it's bringing. There's things working in us that are dying. All of our time is it's short. We're given this natural body. I think of the spiritual body, and I think of Christ, who is shining now in the glory of the resurrection as the right hand of the power of God, shining as the sun in its strength. This, this spiritual body. This is what we're called into. This is the implications of the resurrection. And so it is written that first man Adam was made a living soul, and he was, and he died. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. He's not of that priesthood that dies. He's of that priesthood of Melchizedek that has no end. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. The contrast, the glorious contrast... It has implications on us here today. As is the earthy, so are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. We must repent. We must not stay at the cross. We must go on. We must be translated out of that covenant of death into the covenant of life. We must be translated. We must go from that old covenant of death, be translated into the new covenant of life. We must be translated from the kingdoms of this world into the kingdom of God. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. There must come a repentance. There must come a death to that old man. There must come a rising up of that new man out of the baptismal waters. There must be a going on now into perfection. Sometimes we think of that perfection needs to be right out of the water. Right out of the water, they're perfect. Right out of the water, they're never another... But we think about that newborn babe. We think about that newborn babe. And is God able to take that newborn babe and suddenly make them into a 30-year-old man? He absolutely is. He's perfectly capable of doing it. But he won't. Very, often, very, very rarely will he do that. He'll take that babe and he'll grow them up and he'll grow them up and he'll grow them up into greater and greater perfection. That's what he'll do. So it's certainly believable that as men would look at us and they would see many things in us yet that we would have to say, we've got room yet where we need to become more and more perfect. We've got room yet where we need to grow more and more into the image of God. We're not content to stay at the cross and imagine those kinds of things. We have to go on to the likeness of Christ. But that is what we're called to, and He gives us the power to do it because of the resurrection. So that we may reach that age where God has worked His work in us and made us into His image. There's so much more that could be said, but you've thank thankful to. Thank you for your attention, brother. Brothers, would one of you have something to?